Good to see you here this morning. We are at the front end of a series that we've launched. We're calling Beginning Again. And we're focusing on how knowing God in Christ brings uh, a new beginning, a fresh start. And it, we call it different things, a do-over, a clean slate. In golf, it's called a mulligan. But it, it always bothers me in golf, frankly, to take a mulligan because there'd be an asterisk by the score. If you do well from that point on, you know, I've taken some mulligans like 10 shots. And from then on, you know, you get, okay, so you have a low score, maybe the lowest score of your life, but you know it's not real. It's not a real score. It has an asterisk by it. We, we'd all like to take a mulligan sometimes. I mean, all of us have a past. You know, sometimes you talk about people, and you, or, or, or maybe we shouldn't, but you may. You may have heard somebody say this. Not yourself, but maybe somebody else. Say, so, you know, they've got a past. Well, we all have a past. And we all need to figure out how, how to deal with our past. How is it that you deal with it? Sometimes our past looms over us like a shadow. And we may not see it, but... Wherever we go, it's there. Uh, we've done some things or some things have been done to us that take on a life of their own and they become sort of like a monster in the closet. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I sometimes didn't like to go to the closet because uh, could be a monster in there. You know, hey, ah, a monster in the closet. Sometimes our past can sort of grow into this monster and it looms in the shadows. It can grow to giant proportions if we don't deal with several things rightly. First one of those is guilt. We look back and think about some wrong we've done. And if we don't handle it the right way, the monster gets fed. God gave us a conscience to act like a light on the dashboard of, of our car that tells us something's wrong under the hood. That's, that's what our conscience does. If we ignore it, there, there can be real problems that grow. Early on in my car driving life, I ignored some things. Lights on the dashboard, paid a price for that. Redid few engines that way. Uh, that's, that's what happens. God, God wants our guilt to lead us to him. He, he wants it to lead us. He gave us a conscience. He built it into us because he wants that to draw us to the only one who can really help us deal with it. Because we know we can't take a mulligan. <laughs> we know that that's not real. And so he wants it to draw us to him. But we generally start trying to handle it without his help. And that's when we get in trouble. Another thing that feeds the monster is failure. We have an expectation, a personal standard that we fail to meet, and then we beat ourselves up by repeating things like, I should have known better, or, I should have done better, or, and it just it goes on a loop. We just keep saying those things to ourselves. The monster rears its ugly head and, and gets to us this way because guilt and failure, they're our fault. They're tied to our own choices. And we can be anchored to the past by those things that we have done and things that are beyond our control, things that have been done to us. These, these things that have been done to us, the hurt, the damage, 
the, the trouble caused by others, can produce bitterness in us. If someone has wronged and hurt us, this leads to resentment and bitterness over time, and the monster gets some superfood. The monster's growth just goes in gigantic proportions because it's got this superfood of bitterness that's being fed to it. Or maybe you've experienced loss. Grief is a normal part of life. It's something that we're all going to experience at some point. But if we don't work through it the right way, it can really stick with us the rest of our lives in a way that brings damage. Many of our losses, they're going to they're going to impact us for the rest of our life. So as, as we deal with those losses, we have to grieve the right way. We have to grieve the loss or, or handle it the, the direct way. Sometimes it's, it's a loss. We lost a dream. We've, a dream has died. We've had a dream early on. Or we've always thought that life would go this way. And it doesn't. I mean, you get to a point where you're starting to evaluate you realize, oh, my dream is not materializing. What do I do now? How, how, do you, how do you work through that? That's very important. If we don't deal with bitterness, guilt, failure, or loss in the right way, regret and shame can rob us of the present right here and now. Shame is a very powerful emotion. It's actually a, a, a it, it impacts our, del, our self-image. And it can downgrade our self, self-worth in our hearts and minds to the point where we, we don't see ourselves accurately, which is very, very important. Lewis Smedes, who is a theologian and ethicist, he, he writes, The difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he did something wrong. A person feels shame because he is something wrong. When we're dealing with shame and the like, we need some way to view our past accurately, the the right way. We need help seeing it and putting it in perspective so that we can move forward from that point and Enjoy the present. Enjoy the life God's given us right here and now. We need to see ourselves from a different vantage point. There's only, there's only one way to do that. And this is why knowing Jesus is so great. Because Christ followers have a new outlook on the past. We, we, we can take a new outlook in him. We're going to walk through a passage in 2 Corinthians 5, that, that really helps with this. Book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament is a follow-up letter. It's second. There was a first. That's why it's named second. Um, I'm given some brilliant information, aren't I? Two means it came after one. That's, it's, it's a follow-up. It was written to a church started by Paul, the apostle, uh, in the first century. In the first letter, he wrote the first letter because he rebuked the church for crossing God's boundaries in their lifestyles and some of their behaviors. It was actually very troubling to him. 
and not reflect of reflection of uh, who God is or what God in Christ is trying to do in their, in their lives. But since the first letter, the church, the people in the church who were living this way, and I think my impression is most of the church was going that direction, uh, they had repented of some very twisted sin. You, you can read about it in the first letter to the Corinthians. But they had repented of some very twisted sin, and he was grateful. He was, he was overwhelmed with thanksgiving for their change of mind and heart toward God and the way they had just re, you know, done a 180-degree turnaround in their lifestyles. However, something else happened in between the letters. Paul was attacked by some men who were trying to discredit his ministry and usurp his power, his authority as, a, as an apostle. And so they began to conduct a smear campaign. And so part of what Paul's doing in the second letter is he's, he's answering the objections from these men. He's, he's expressing a tremendous amount of gratitude in the first few chapters. We're looking at chapter 5. In the first few chapters, he's expressing gratitude. Thank God you guys have turned around from the way you were going because that was not going to end well. And then he starts to lay out, he starts to describe his ministry because of these guys who are attacking him. And in his description of his ministry, there's tremendous amount of instruction for our own ministries, for this ministry here and your, your ministry personally, my ministry personally. Um, and so we're going to dig in, but as he's talking about his ministry, we gain some very important insight to how we should view ourselves once we know Jesus Christ. Really, really helpful. How we should view ourselves, how we should view others, and how we can deal with our past as we're looking back from the vantage point that Jesus gives us. Really helpful stuff. Here's the first statement we're going to look at, 5.16, 2 Corinthians 5.16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So Paul is talking about a drastic shift in his perspective that he's taking. And he, he made this shift when he came to, to find Christ and the forgiveness that Christ offered him. So he, he came to know Christ. It was a dramatic story. You can read about it in the book of Acts. But he came to know Christ. And when he came to know him, he makes this drastic shift as to how he evaluates and how he views the people around him. He says he regards them no longer according to the flesh. So before Christ, he viewed himself and others based on good deeds done. You can read this in the first part of the, the letter and the first part of this chapter. The religious activities that he, he did, he was actually a star, religious star, before he came to know Christ. It wasn't about religion. I mean, he was, he was a rising star in the Jewish system. Major guy. And so the way he viewed people is from a very snooty, self-righteous angle of, 
you know, if you aren't doing the good that I'm doing, if you aren't doing all the religious stuff that I'm doing, then you're not worth much. That was how he viewed them, and that's what he means by saying, according to the flesh. He basically viewed people with the same outward-oriented standards as the world at large, just skin deep, just skin deep stuff, just, just looking nowhere beyond the surface. What he's saying here is, now, the way I look at myself and others has radically changed. It is very different. Jesus has given me a whole new lens for viewing people in the world around me. As a follower of Christ, I am no longer defined by my past or my good deeds that I'm doing in the present. My religious stuff, my religious activities. These things don't define me. And I'm not chained to my past to prove myself worth. I'm not chained to it. I don't have to prove how valuable I am by looking at my past and sort of rewriting it if I have to, (laughs) to make it fit. Jesus gave his life to offer forgiveness to all who would trust him, forgiveness of sins. Those who accept his offer and follow him as Lord are made into a new creation, and I am now defined by what he's done, not what I've done. He, he defines who I am. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, this becomes crucial perspective as you try to build on the rubble of your past, as I try to build on the rubble of my past. Because using my past to prove my worth is useless, according to Scripture. There's two things that happen when I try to use my past to prove my worth. First of all, I have to keep achieving and seeking accolades. And these work like a mirage. I I have to keep moving forward to achieve more because the good feelings disappear too fast from the achievements. So they they go away. Um, I end up chasing a mirage that dissipates as I try to do more good, do enough good, be religious, do the right things achieve by some standard that I've set up in my mind. I'm, I'm trying to achieve, and I keep trying to, to get better and better and better and better and better. And when I get there, when I think, okay, this is it, the next thing, it's going to do it for me. I'm going to finally feel like I'm worth something. You get there, it's a mirage. It dissipates. That's that's how it is. This is the problem. I never reach the place where I'm totally secure in my worth. So I have to achieve more and do more good. So I feel okay in the moment. And the moment just disappears quickly. I can't build anything. I can't really make real progress in my life because I'm stuck on the bottom floor. I have to keep achieving and I keep it's like I keep achieving and inside I keep the elevator keeps going to the bottom. You know, I keep achieving, keeps dissipating when I blow it. 
when, I, when I'm trying to be good, you know, I, I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to have the right attitude. I'm trying to show kindness to people. I'm sh- trying to really have compassion. I'm trying to not be judgmental in the wrong way. And then I blow it. Then what happens is you're on the bottom floor, you end up in the basement, or sometimes a dungeon. You know, if it's bad enough, you feel like you're in the dungeon. Oh, I'm never getting out of here. This is horrendous. What do I do? That's, that's what happens when you try to use your past to prove your worth. It, it dissipates like a mirage, and you never make... Real progress in life. Second thing that happens is you never, I never effectively face and deal with my failure, guilt, or shame because I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to look at it. I don't, I don't really want to look at that. I gloss over failures and I don't learn from them. I might try to even redefine right and wrong to try to erase the guilt. So I redefine it. Well, yeah, that was pretty harsh, but sort of expected everybody do that in the same situation you know it's like or or well it it might have seemed harsh but it needed to be said it might have been wrong but it needed to be done and so we start we start viewing things with a certain perspective and we're trying to erase the guilt but like a mulligan in golf it doesn't really go anywhere i mean you really had 10 shots and your score was really 99, not 89. Now you know what kind of golfer I am. <laughs> you know, you're trying to erase it by playing these games, but it doesn't go anywhere. Because it really is connected to the reality as God sees it and as you know it in your heart of hearts. I refuse to admit my guilt. When, I, when I'm trying to use my past to prove myself worth because it threatens to subtract from my value. It, it threatens to take it away. So I never admit my guilt and shame because I don't know how to overcome it. And it casts a shadow. It's the monster that is growing huge in my heart and mind. Paul is telling us here, this is an incredible thing. He's telling us that Jesus gives us what we need to get over our past. He forgives and he remakes us. That's what we need. We're not defined by what we've done, right or wrong, but we are now one of his people. If you've come to know Jesus Christ and given your life to follow him, you've accepted what he's done on the cross, experienced his forgiveness, You don't have to be defined any longer by your past. We are now one of his people, those of us who've chosen to follow him. We have a a new identity. We're a new person. We're God's child and Christ's follower. The, The way life is, we have to keep dealing with our past in order to move into the future. This is the way it is for us. We have to keep the past can rob us of the present because you can't build your future with your back looking with your your back turned to the the future by looking at the past. 
So we need to deal with it. Being stuck in the past eats us alive. And the past can either be a few decades behind us or it can be a few seconds ago. This is the way it is. This is why we have to keep dealing with the past to keep moving into the future because it can be way back there or what I just said or did five seconds ago. The, the past keeps being realized in our lives. A memory comes to mind and we make a choice. How are we going to deal with that memory? We move through the day and we think or say or do something wrong. And then we decide what we're going to do in that moment with it. To build on the rubble, we have to deal with the past the right way. Whether it was decades ago or whether it was a few seconds ago. Paul shows us that Jesus has dealt with our past. Look at verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is an amazing thing. Jesus became sin. He knew, he knew no sin so that we could have his righteousness. So I look at my past through the, the, the filter of Jesus' righteousness that's been given to me the moment I accept it. I have to accept him. And the salvation he brought, what he did on the cross. I quit trying to be religious. I quit trying to be good. I I quit trying to pump myself up and do more and more right and good. To earn approval, to earn my worth. I stop that. And I accept what Jesus has done on the cross. Because the one who was perfect died on the cross so that I could have eternal life in him, so that I could have his righteousness. He's willing to give it to those who will receive it. So I accept Jesus Christ, what he's done on the cross, and then I decide to give my life to him so I have a new reason for being good. It's because of this relationship that I now have with the one who died for me. He was willing to die for me. And so I have this relationship with him, and the grace of God motivates me now to do what's right before him. Everything changes in this scenario. I can be honest and admit wrong because Jesus is my righteousness. I can deal with my past. I can face it. I can look at it because he is my righteousness. I don't have to be perfect anymore. He was perfect and died so I could be given his righteousness. Rather than dealing with the mirage of my own righteousness, I can constantly draw on his. And the way we are, we have to keep reminding ourselves of this because we it makes sense to us to do good to make up for the bad. That makes perfect sense to human beings. It does. It's the way we are. But I can constantly rely on his righteousness If I've accepted him as Savior and follow him as Lord, I give my life to him. It's free, but it's not cheap. The grace of God is free. It's freely given, but it's not cheap because you have to give your life to him. You give it back to him. It was his to begin with. He gave it to us. 
and you give it you give it back to him because of what he's done. Since I've been forgiven by Jesus and given his righteousness, I can forgive others now. So I can deal not only with the wrong I've done, but I can deal with the wrong that's been done to me because I I've been forgiven by him. And so we look back. Here's an overview of the things that tie me to the past and and how to deal with two categories of of these things that that affect us from the past, the things I've done and the things done to me. First, first things, things I've done. Let's look at this. First of all, my failures. It's easy to get stuck in a thought loop and rehearse the failure over and over and over again. We feel stupid. For me, one of the thoughts that come to mind is I should have, I should have known better. I should have done better. And in that statement, that's a sneaky way to put ourselves above the rest of the human race. When we're dealing with failure, I should have known better. It's sneaky because every human being makes mistakes. Everybody fails. And so we need to be willing to admit failure so we can look at it and deal with it. And the great thing is, in Jesus Christ, God gives us the ability to do that. He the one who knew no sin became sin so that we could have his righteousness. We, we, can, we can rely on what he's done now to move forward on into the future. God wants to build the future on our past, even our failures, and he gives us what we need to do so. There, there were two. There, uh, well, there's one story in Peter's life, the biggest failure of Peter's life, the greatest failure of his life. I think if we were able to interview Peter, the disciple, the apostle, he would say the greatest failure of my life was denying Jesus Christ when he was being, when he was being uh, arrested, beaten, and crucified. So he denied Christ. He denied him three times. Jesus told him he was going to do this. But also when Jesus told him he was going to do this, he, he told him, he said this to him, this is very important. He said, and, and Simon, 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 Peter, Simon, Simon, when you, when you have turned again, so you're going to blow it, you're going to really mess up. When you have turned again, when you come back around, strengthen your brothers. Because what God does is he uses our failures to be the very thing that he can use to encourage the people around us. This is, this is how God is. This is what, failure is not a waste with him. You know, all of us mess up. All of us blow it. But with God, he can take our greatest failure and use it as something as he works in us through it to strengthen the people around us. It's, it's the same thing with Charles Colson. He was, he was a high-level guy in the Nixon administration, and he was involved in the Watergate scandal, one of the four front guys in the Watergate scandal. And he said, it's interesting because his greatest failure is the very thing that God used the most in his life. He built a ministry out of his greatest failure, and God has really used him. No one escapes failure, and God can use the deep things he builds in us through our failure to encourage others. He redeems our past. This is how God is. He's, he's an amazing God. 
He redeems our past and our failure if we trust him, if we lean on him to do it. Second thing uh, that we need to deal with that ties us to the past is guilt. If we don't do the right thing with our guilt, it can morph into shame. And we live in the basement or the dungeon, and we're never able to get out of there. We're stuck. And the monster is creeping around, you know. It's like, ah. Unresolved guilt is malignant. We get twisted up in thoughts that condemn and accuse. It creates grooves in our mind that lead us to feelings of illegitimate guilt and shame. When we do wrong, we instinctively try to pay for it. Since Jesus died for our sin, it's paid for. We no longer need to pay. We don't need to spend our lives trying to make up for the wrong we've done. But Jesus, the passage we looked at last week, it says that uh, God raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ. God takes us out of the basement, out of the dungeon, and he gives us a very high place spiritually. And our flesh, our, our normal way of thinking, and the enemy keeps wanting to drag us back down to the basement, into the dungeon. But we, we, can, we can trust the living God and what he's done, and we don't need to pay any longer. We don't need to spend our lives trying to pay for the wrong we've done. We, we can start where Jesus put us and move on into the future from there. Here's what we're told to do with our guilt. Confess our sin to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess just means I agree with God about my sin. It was wrong. The moment you agree with God, for me, sometimes it takes a while. But the moment you agree with God, you're forgiven. Move on. The second category that we have to struggle with is harm done to us, harm done to me. And the first thing that flows out of that is usually bitterness if we let it grow. Because bitterness moves from injury, we're hurt by someone, it goes to disappointment, we're disappointed with that, resentment begins to build, and then bitterness sets in. And if we allow bitterness to become a part of our life, then it wrecks all kinds of havoc on our relationships, and it contaminates our life and relationships like a bad water supply. That's the picture you get in Scripture. If we're bitter, we've missed the grace of God. We've, we've overlooked what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, that description that we just read of what Jesus has done. When we come to Christ, our purpose becomes to show the incomparable riches of God's grace. This is our purpose. This is our purpose as a congregation. It's our purpose as individuals. To show the incredible riches of God's grace. And so his forgiveness of us, his grace toward us, is the stream that we draw from to forgive others. That's how we do it. And then there's loss. Grief's a normal part of life. And at some point, we all deal with loss, the loss of someone close to us, the death of a dream. If you don't work out your loss between you and God, then your future can get derailed by it. It's normal to grieve. 
But don't let grief block you from building toward the future like it can. From God's perspective, we regard no one or no thing according to the flesh. And he's given us everything we need to move forward and to work through the grief. But generally, we need to talk it out with someone we trust. So work through it. Don't let it block you. Here's some guidance from God's word on how to build on the rubble. If I've blown it, if, I've, if, it's, if it's my past that I'm responsible for, I need to accept responsibility for what I've done and confess my sin to God. I confess it to God and anyone else I've offended. This is a moment-by-moment thing. We need to keep in step with the Lord, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If we learn to deal with things quickly, we stay out of the basement and we don't spin in circles. We don't chase mirages. Second, ask forgiveness. The moment we confess to God, he forgives. And we also need to follow through and make it right with the people we've offended, the people we've harmed. If we need to make restitution, we do it. If others have caused damage to us, first, we forgive them. Now, there are two aspects of forgiveness that's important to understand. There is a decisional aspect of forgiveness and an emotional aspect of forgiveness. I, I can decide right now, I can decide, I can make a choice to forgive someone in my mind. And the only reason we need to have for doing that is Jesus told us to do that. So if we're following Christ and he told us to forgive, we make a decision in our minds. We choose mentally to decide to to forgive. We do this right now. Father, with your help, I'm, I'm going to let this go. Would you help me to forgive? I forgive them with your help because of what you've done. I choose to forgive them. Because of your forgiveness of me, I forgive them. Then we work through the motions of forgiving over time. So when I'm tempted to rehearse the memories of what's been done to me, I eject the recording and I put God's word in its place. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So I forgive. That's the first thing. I forgive trusting God to weave even what's been done to me into his plan for my life to fulfill his purpose. Second, I trust God to do good in spite of the loss. There's only one person in the middle of loss. In the midst of loss, we, we, we lose some, someone close to us. We grieve over that, and it's a real thing. We need to grieve. We, we, a dream of ours dies. There's only one place to turn. There's only one person who can really bring comfort, and that's the living God. Second Corinthians 1 says that he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. And as we are comforted by him, we comfort others. He wants to bring the comfort. He, he wants to, to pour that into our lives. I'd like to share a testimony with you. It's a video testimony um, 
of how God works through our lives and even through our past and how he's writing this story of our lives. And I think it's a story that would bring a lot of hope. This is Brianne, Brianna, um, and she's one of the ladies at our Alhambra campus, but she was at our Dime Bar campus before she was there. And uh, Brie has a tremendous testimony of God helping her build on her past, no matter what it's been. So let's, let's look at, let's listen to her share with us. Hi, I'm Brianna Elliott. I'm 25 and I'm a member at Church in the Valley. Growing up, um, I lived in the foster care system. When I was eight, my brother and I were abandoned and uh, left with my alcoholic grandmother and step-grandfather. During our time there, um, we all, we both faced several different um, forms of abuse and it got really bad at one point that we both were kind of planning how we could run away and get away from it all. Uh, instead of doing that, I decided to talk to my social worker and let her know what was going on. So we were both uh, placed into different homes, um, different family members and different group homes. We weren't placed together anymore and it was really hard for both of us to deal with it. Uh, I usually would start off my process by praying to God but really found no relief in that because I didn't have a relationship with him so uh, I would lash out by throwing tantrums, being disrespectful to everybody and just being defiant as much as I could. During this time I just really felt a lot of anger towards many adults that were in my life and mainly my mother and my grandmother and I just just had a constant anger with everyone around me. I also felt guilty for treating the people that were trying to help me, just lashing out to them constantly. I just was kind of being pulled both ways, feeling guilty and angry and really just felt like I was in two different worlds at that point. Well, I started coming to church a little more constantly in 2005 with some family members and I was really relieved hearing messages that I could relate to and people I could relate to and I was just beginning to build a relationship with people within the church first and which then moved me closer to God and got me looking into a Bible and really started focusing on what it was that God wanted me to do. Um, I was able to start realizing that actually God had answered all those prayers as a child and just not the way that I wanted or expected them to be answered because he really did protect me during that time. And when I met other kids in the group home, hearing some things that happened to them, I just knew that I had it good compared to them. And I knew that that was God protecting me. Um, in 2013, I decided to get baptized and become uh, a member at CIV and started really seeing what it is to be a servant and be around people who also were serving God and people around them and the love that they exuded just really refreshed my life and I was able to experience people apologizing to each other on a regular basis and forgiving and really helped me mend some wounds that I had where 
either I had done the deed or what people have done to me just forgiving them without hearing an apology and it was just really refreshing for me to get so involved and now I can just live my life and rewrite the script that seems like was already written for me before I knew it and I think that God and really being at CIV and being with different members and being involved has really made a huge impact in my life. So that's a picture of how God helps us deal with our past and rewrites our future because of his grace, because of what he's done, no matter what it's been. Often we would change the past, but God just takes it and weaves it into a script that he's writing that fulfills his purpose for our lives. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take out your connection card and finish completing any information or next steps, then when the offering comes around, you could put it in the offering. That'd be great. I'd like to thank you for giving. Uh, It's your financial gifts that really help us accomplish what we're doing here. And then I have some next steps to suggest. If, If you have never given your life to Christ, if you've never decided to accept his righteousness on your behalf and follow him as Lord, this is an opportunity. Brie came to Christ. She was investigating what it means to follow Christ. She decided to follow him. She was baptized. Baptism is an outward thing that we do that it doesn't save you, but it it's an outward thing that talks that that actually is a symbol of what's happened in your heart. And at Church in the Valley, we do it by immersion. Um, so we'll have, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptism. We'll do it on the motor court here. We'll have a little baptismal pool. It's a pretty cool portable pool. Uh, but we ask everyone who wants to be baptized after their decision to follow Christ to be baptized, which is a picture of what he's done. You, you die to yourself and you're raised to new life in him. This is what scripture says. And we use, we use the scripture as our guide. And it's, baptism is a little bit humiliating when you do it that way. Because you get wet, you know, you don't look your best, your makeup gets all messed up. Or, you know, maybe, maybe you can see that the guy's going bald or whatever. But, but baptism, it's an important step. Because we're saying, I am identifying with Jesus Christ and his church body. I I am following him. And no matter how much it, you know, may be uncomfortable or inconvenient, I'm going to do this. Because of all that he's gone through for me. Him who knew no sin became sin for me. And so I'm going to go through this. It's a very important step. It doesn't save you, it doesn't bring salvation, but it's a reflection of the fact that you've come to Christ and you have salvation. Uh, So you can see in the story of of Bree how God has worked in that. But anyway, let us know if you'd like to follow Christ. We, We really want to help with that. And then second step is, I want to build on the rubble by seeking forgiveness, giving forgiveness, accepting loss in faith. Circle one of those, and we'll pray with you about those things. Would you pray with me now? 
Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word that guides and strengthens, builds. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for becoming sin on my behalf. Help us, God, to trust you, to walk with you, to look at our past from the right perspective, from the right vantage point that you've given us the privilege of having, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.